This is the Teachable Soul Podcast. Because we cannot possibly live long enough to make all the mistakes ourselves, let's take a few moments to learn from the mistakes of others. The Teachable Soul Podcast, where guests and listeners like you share stories of failure and teachable moments on the journey to success. Here's your host, Kat Daniels. Welcome to the Teachable Soul Podcast. I am your host, Kat Daniels, and today with me, I am pleased to interview Dr. Travis G. Perry, who is the founder of the Make Time Institute. He's earned several degrees in family and social sciences to better understand goal achievement and family relationships. He helps business owners and financial professionals be more productive at work so they can make time for their own goals and family relationships. Welcome, Travis. Thank you for meeting with me today. Thanks, Catherine, for having me on. Oh, absolutely. So before we were talking a little bit about how you kind of started looking into getting your PhD. Do you want to start there? Sure. Yeah. It is a little bit of a a road that leads to that uh, destination. So I'll kind of give the Reader's Digest version. Um, I came from a, a family. My father is a plumber and my grandfather started that business. He started in engineering and actually took out his entire retirement to start this business. So I came from a a family a line of engineers and and small business owners, entrepreneurs, and and uh, grew up in that business. Um, had no desire by the time I was older to really stick around. I knew I needed to go to college and something that that none of my family members had done. I didn't know what that meant, how to do it, but I knew I needed to go. And so I made my way. And along that way, I found that I kind of fell in to the financial um, planning industry. By fell in, I mean, like I had a friend who was like, hey, I've got a job and you'd be great at this. You have a good personality. You can sell stuff. Come on down. I'm like, wait a minute. What, what is it? He's <laughs> like, it's insurance. I'm like, I have no idea what, how to do insurance. I've, and he's like, don't worry about it. You'll learn. Yeah. <laughs> right. So he came down and I came down and he was right. Um, I outsold, there were two agencies there. I outsold everybody in the office my first month and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, nice. And it wasn't because I had great product knowledge. It wasn't because, you know, I was born to sell insurance. None of that. It was mm. because I really enjoyed people and helping them reach their goals. Well, that led me to actually finishing my bachelor's degree. And I seriously, Catherine, I'm not lying, but I sat in my car after I took my last test of my undergraduate and I cried tears of joy. It was just me in the car. And I was like, yay, I'm so done. I hate school. I love learning. I feel that so hard. (laughs) (laughs) But I hated school. And I was taking my last test in a testing center, feeling like I'm stuck in this box. Right. Goodness, I want to give so much more than having to take these tests about sociology and everything else that I was learning. And I, you know, again, great material. Of course. But I just wanted to, to break loose. And so I did. I, I was a full-time financial advisor for several years. And then my amazing father passed away very, very suddenly. He was 49 years old and I was oh, 26. And I was the oldest son. And I was at that time a financial advisor. And so my mom turned to me for advice and help. Yeah. And, and I really mm-hmm. helped her through that process. As I was grieving, it gave me a purpose. It gave me a mission, something to do. Yeah. And, but it also gave me a lot of pause and a lot of time to think about my own life. And I made some really big choices um, after my father passed away. Really, I wrote his obituary. Have you ever written an obituary for anyone, Catherine? Uh, it's funny you mention that. I just recently had to write my father's obituary. Yeah. Oh my goodness. How long ago? Uh, he passed away in October. Ah, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Um, it's sorry. hard, right? Yeah. It's, it's hard super- because the whole family puts all that pressure on you to like write it up and make it look good. And you don't know all the details and you're struggling, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I had this really, you know, big feeling of just kind of inadequacy of like, uh, I've got to fill my father's shoes on the oldest son. And, but it, it kind of led me self reflection to think, man, what else? My father accomplished all this. He became this amazing person. He really achieved all of his goals by age 49. 
And I thought he had this great loss, but it wasn't a great loss. Like he was, he was successful at being the person he was supposed to become. Yeah. And I wasn't there. Yeah. I'm 26, but still uh, at that moment, at least in that period of time and that moment, mean that period of time, um, I had a lot of self-reflection. My wife and I talked about a lot of things. We started changing our health, our diet. We started Mm -hmm. um, really changing everything about our financial situation. Um, I left the firm that I was at to start my own business in financial advising. Just felt like I needed to get the the shackles off, so to speak, and get out of this box. Um, And I liked doing financial planning. I liked helping people get to their goals. But now I really wanted to help people in all aspects of their life. But the problem was, and here's kind of the crux of the story, the problem was, what kind of expert was I? I had a bachelor's degree in sociology. That doesn't make me an expert in anything. Um, I barely graduated, you know, just kind of that <laughs> sort of thing. And, yeah. and then, you know, I had a few years of experience in financial planning. So I went to courses after courses. I went to seminars. I read books. I did just about everything I could to self-educate until the moment arrived when I was actually doing some yard work. Like all, all great inspiration happens either in the shower or yard work, right? Like our long drives. Yeah, long drives, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I've been talking with my wife about this. Like just don't feel comfortable even with my own firm as a financial advisor. There's, I still feel like I can't help people in all areas of their life. So what am I supposed to do? And um, I started to explore going back to graduate school. Now for me, again, this is the kid who like cried tears of joy, never wanted to do school again. I swore that off. I never imagined even completing an undergraduate to wait a minute. What? You're going to go back and do do more? Mm. The reason being is I wanted a master's degree to understand motivation. I want to understand what made people tick because I actually, since I was a kid, wanted to be a public speaker. I fell into financial planning and a good friend of mine said, that's great. You can still be a public speaker. Just be the best financial planner ever. And then everybody will ask you to speak. And so that was kind of my motivation while I was there. And I realized mm-hmm. that could take me 40 years. Like that's not, that's not who I am. That's not my true passion, desire, or a really professional calling. And I wanted to figure that out. And I realized that, wait a minute, it's speaking. And it's helping people reach their goals. So I want to understand motivation. Well, in my um, degree in psychology, my master's in psychology, that's when I got to the pinnacle of understanding what motivation is. Now, if I ask you, Catherine, and maybe your audience, you know, does anybody know about Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Do you remember that in any psychology class or sociology class you ever took? Does that sound familiar? I know what you're talking about, but I only just recently, like in the last year, learned about that. So if you want to go into just a little bit of detail. Yeah, totally. I just want to see where you're at. And that's kind of most people, unless they take in a, like a human development class, parenting class, or a psychology class, this isn't going to be that familiar. But Maslow back in the 1950s had a theory, never proven, but you know, a lot of people bought into this theory. It was effective theory that at the base of all of our motivation, like the, the bare bones is we need to eat. <laughs> we need to have shelter. We need to have... Uh, food, you know, that kind of clothing and such, right? And he moves up the pyramid of the needs, basically saying once one need is met, well, you can get to the next need. And that's like relationships. And then the next need is, is uh, you know, self-actualization. And that's kind of the top. I'm skipping a few, but you get it, right? right? right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in my last class in this uh, master's degree that I, I did online while I was working, um, you know, I was doing, you know, papers till midnight. You guys get a burning the midnight oil. Um, right. We had three children at that time. So it's not like we weren't busy. Um, wow. My last class, I had an epiphany. And that was I found a revised theory. The article literally was published like a couple of months before I had to do this paper. My last paper, my final class, this article appears seemingly out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I read through it. And it was psychologists, it was, and and these weren't family people, just so that you know, these were not family people. These were um, evolutionary psychologists, behavioral psychologists, people with, you know, psychological backgrounds and degrees. And they said, you know what, Maslow isn't right. 
He said, self-actualization, most people don't get to. It's this idea that you finally arrived and nothing else basically in the world could ever go wrong. And that's what motivates us. They said, no, nah, we don't think so. Mm. We actually think it's something else. And they revised it in 2012 and found um, that, no, sorry, 2010. They found that uh, the, the top of this pyramid, well, Maslow had a lot of the bottom things, you know, pretty spot on. Like if, if, you're, if you're out of food and you don't have shelter, you're, like you're doing everything you can to be off the, off the streets, right? And get food. Right. Basically, um, survival, right? Exactly. That's survival needs. But as you build up, like it does make sense. You want to have belonging. You want to have, you know, relationships. Well, they found that after all their research, um, you know, early 2000s, that what people were motivated by the most of anything else in their life was having offspring, being a parent, number one. And number two, having a mate, having a spouse, having someone throughout your life that you love. That was actually number one and number two. Where is that? Well, nobody knows about it because it's buried in some kind of psychology journal someplace that, you know, nobody wants to talk about. But everybody knows the, the theory from 1950. <laughs> right. Of course. <laughs> um, and that actually, that's the moment that I thought, oh, my goodness. I wanted to be a specialist. I wanted to know about motivation so I could be a motivational speaker and change my career and get out of financial advising and get into, you know, the stage. That's where I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And here I am staring at this in my last class, again, crying tears of joy, thinking this is phenomenal, going, I have to do a PhD. I have to do a PhD in family and marriage. Oh, why? I could just go get another master's degree. But people don't see that as a, a credential as much as, hey, you have your, your doctor, Dr. Perry. And mm -hmm. you, you be honest, you go to a, a, a Barnes and Noble, if you do that anymore, and mm -hmm. you look at a book and you go, okay, this, this is a no-name person. This is a doctor somebody. Mm -hmm. Most people look at the doctor somebody, even if they don't know, and think, okay, credibility. Like instant. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I've got to take some of this idea of motivation and couples and parenting, and I actually need to take this to my dissertation. And my dissertation was on um, how uh, couples that have the same values and goals are happier together in the relationship, are happier individually, and, and, uh, and they're better parents and, and are even better financially. So it was really fun to take that theory and sort of prove it in action and mm -hmm. then use that as my platform to coach people um, to help uh, business owners to have better work-life balance because their motivation is their family, or at least it right. started off that way. Does yeah. this make sense? You follow me on that? 1000%. Yes. So for me, I wasn't a 12 year old boy thinking someday I'm going to be a doctor. Like, no, that was <laughs> not it. But I did think at about 14, 15 years old, I love public speaking. It's crazy. Everybody hates it. And I'm like this weird misfit who mm. like I get on stage or I get in front of a crowd and I light up. I just mm -hmm. have all this energy. I'm way less boring. You know, my, my dad jokes turn into actually funny jokes. Like it's weird. Like I transform. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I knew that that's my calling. That's what I'm supposed to do. But having not gone through this process of going back to the graduate degree and actually earning my PhD for me, that's what I needed to do to become, you know, a consummate professional and an expert in my field so that I could then get onto stages. And in my first year of saying, hey, I'm a public speaker, hire me, um, I became an international speaker. And that was, that was pretty cool. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's something that, um, you know, I think that we all kind of struggle with, like, it doesn't matter what you want to get into or what you want to do with your life. It, we all kind of struggle at some point or another with whether or not we either feel like or can prove that we have the credentials or have whatever it takes, you know, to be an authority on something. Um, so, I mean, I think that that's definitely something that I can, um, relate to because I, after going to get my bachelor's degree, um, I didn't, I was so tired of school. <laughs> <laughs> Even I remember going into high school in like ninth grade, 
I was like, I'm just going to hurry up and get as many classes done as I physically can so I can continue to go to college and get my degree like I'm told to do. And then I'm going to be done and be free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Man, I get it. And I, I was, I was actually determined in my undergraduate to like, I'm going to figure out how to, you know, get started, but find a business I can do or something and make it big. So I don't have to complete this. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was funny because before I married my wife, my wife's father was a career counselor at a college. And he's like, so when are you going to get your MBA? Right? <laughs> no, now I've got to finish, you know? And so right. it's interesting. I don't think uh, I'm kind of on the, I'm kind of on the edge. Like, I don't think everybody has to do an associates or a bachelor's. I get it. Mm -hmm. Like, that's kind of like the new high school diploma. Right. Um, and even high school kids, a lot of them are finishing their associates in high school, which is phenomenal. We homeschool yeah. our kids and we're helping them to do what they would like to do with their education. And if that means going up ahead and doing other things, that's great. We're going to help them to do that. But I'm actually at the point where not everybody needs to get, you know, even a bachelor's degree. There's plenty mm -hmm. of jobs out there. Like the dirty, the whole movement with the dirty jobs TV shows, like yes. hey, all of these jobs out there that actually require technical skill. Like we need people there mm -hmm. to do that. But going from plumber to public speaker, you know, that's, that was a pretty big jump. I had to do something. I wasn't, uh, you know, I, I didn't have an accident. I didn't have some big struggle in my life to get over. I, I'm not famous. Like there's, I went through all the boxes. I'm like, yeah, I'm not that. I'm not that. You just, you mm -hmm. have to decide, so what are you going to do? And I will tell all those who are thinking, well, you don't, why do you have to be an expert? Well, now when I go and present on a stage um, or even ask to present on a stage, they can see my expertise. My dissertation has been downloaded 2,500 times. Um, you know, I'm writing a book and that can help give expertise. And some people get speeches just because they're great at a story and they can write a book. And that yeah. helps them. Mm -hmm. But anybody who's thinking like, yeah, I need a breakthrough. Having an expertise really does help you to get on there. The stages I speak on now, interestingly enough, are financial advisors, financial planners <laughs> to try to teach them about family relationships and how that helps them in their work with their clients. Oh, wow. That's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something I think that I find that there are certain types of people, of course, who are um, very analytical and black and white. And I also find that uh, with those people, they, ha they sometimes have a harder time developing relationships. Um, for instance, my husband is one of those people. <laughs> for sure. Um, well, and he, he might be an intellectual genius, right? Uh, oh, he is. Yeah, yeah. And that oftentimes doesn't allow for a good balance on the other end. What's interesting about financial advisors, they're different than accountants. Sorry, accountants out there, if you're listening, but accountants tend to be those intellectual um, and not as social where financial advisors and planners, they're kind of the other, you know, they kind of have a, a pull towards the relational side and the social side. Mm -hmm. And they know, they know that they don't get any training on this in school, in their degrees. So uh, I oftentimes, you know, get asked to give a keynote speech on what I call a relational finance gap. And anyway, that's, that's my specialty. I won't go into it completely other than I help them with the relationship side of financial planning. Right. My brother is a financial planner and he would definitely fall under that, that category. He is very relational um, driven. And so yeah, that's fun. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You can kind of understand but mm -hmm. that's, you know, I've fallen into that because that's where a lot of my contacts are and where I started. But I speak for business owners on time management. I speak for faith groups about, you know, achieving their goals or what I call living life on purpose. And that's kind of my tagline mm -hmm. is to live life on purpose. And, I, and that is actually every day that's in my email signature. That's on, that's on my website. It's on my 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 shirts that I had made up for my business, it's to remind me that every day could be my last. Mm -hmm. And just like my own father, he lived his life on purpose. He lived his goals. He became who he was supposed to be. So mm -hmm. I want to be able to be that kind of motivator for everyone else and help them to reach their goals. Absolutely. My, so my dad, he owned his own business for at least 10 years, probably longer than I'm aware of, but he was an auto, he had an auto body shop. 
uh, nice. time, but he, whenever he was running it, he made quite a good um, living on it. But he's the reason that I even knew anything about business to begin with, because when I was little, I opened and uh, I wanted to open and succeeded in opening a lemonade stand. Um, there you go. <laughs> but before That's I opened long. it, he made sure I understood like pricing structures and, and how I was supposed to charge based on how much everything cost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so I pretended like I didn't know what he was talking about, but I completely understood what he was talking about. I just didn't want to charge what he was telling me to charge. <laughs> yeah. Cause dad, <laughs> nobody will buy it. Yeah, exactly. I was what like, I only the, want to charge 50 cents and then keep the money. <laughs> yeah. No, it's funny because my kids uh, did the same thing. They had a lemonade stand and we just happened to be, we, we were in a neighborhood where there was one kind of main arterial road that got in and out of the entire neighborhood. Mm. And so we were like three houses down. So they got their own table. They made a poster and, you know, one of them would run the lemonade. One of the other one was like, yelling at people to stop and they made a, quite a bit of money. Um, yeah. And then they realized when we charge them for the cups, mm -hmm. charge them for the lemons and for, right. you know, the natural sugar that they had, cause they did natural lemonade, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the honey and such that they're like, Oh man, like there goes our profit. And some people think, Hey, you guys are mean parents. No, we did the same when they wanted to like um, rake people's leaves we mm -hmm. charge them to buy the trash bags and you know we let them use some of our tools but when when they earned all the money and then we could show them oh, okay you need to pay us back for some of the cost that's when they learn oh this is what it's like to be a business owner yeah <laughs> no that's just real life experience right there no i'm a huge proponent you know like when my kids cuz they get they st because my husband is very still black and white and, and things like that he still refuses to not allow me to give our kids allowance for their chores basically mm -hmm. the way it's always been done and so that's just one of those arguments that i've chosen not to to argue about <laughs> yeah. so they get an allowance but when my son wants to spend money on ridiculous things i'm like well okay you can go ahead and do that that's your money that's your choice but just so you know you're going to be this much like you're not going to have very much left after the fact or whatever he's 13 right now and the consequences are far you know fewer than when he's like 30 and trying to pay bills so right <laughs> like, you go ahead and buy the ridiculous thing now so that later you can realize that you don't need the ridiculous thing exactly and that isn't it better i mean great parenting tool isn't it better to teach them now with smaller things that they can get before they're in the big world the big bad world and then they're having to learn it you know, as part of the school of life, mm -hmm. there's a lot of people out there. Yeah, they don't get an educational experience, and that's that's okay. They don't need higher education. I get it. Maybe for their job, mm -hmm. um, but it's important that you always stay learning. I'm always reading books. I'm yeah. like, yeah, I'm out of I'm out of academia, but I'm always mm -hmm. reading a book. I'm always listening to something. I'm always increasing my intellectual ability because otherwise, you go backwards. Yeah, and exactly. you never, you know, really improve that. So that real life experience goes a long way, especially for teenagers, uh, you know, children who are, who are learning. And, and I actually, as a financial guy, I would say, yes, don't give them allowance because it teaches them mm -hmm. that uh, they can expect. And honestly, sometimes they start to become that entitled generation that we mm -hmm. hear about so much in these days. So I think, you know, you guys are doing a good thing. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I, uh, so, well, and so I can say, I mean, at a bare minimum, whenever he gets older, he won't spend money on frivolous things. Because even now, like he, we, we sent him on a trip with his school over the summer where they went to like four different countries over in Europe. And he went over there and he was going to buy, he, I mean, he has his own money, but we gave him a little bit of money as well just to buy souvenirs with and stuff. And so I was like, you can either use some of the money that we are giving you for the souvenirs or if it's like over 20 or 40 dollars or something like that then you can use your own money and buy whatever you'd like well <laughs> so he gets there and even in trying to use our money for souvenirs for himself and to bring back to us his family members after the fact he was like i'm only going to spend like maybe between two and five dollars but absolutely no more than that and i'm going to try to find the cheapest one possible before I decide to spend $5 basically on a souvenir. And I'm like, you, okay, 
well, <laughs> I'm That's not hilarious. Like too far in one direction there or what's going to happen with that. <laughs> you know, and he, he will, he will grow up and realize, okay, mom really drove this point home. And mm-hmm. honestly, you and you are probably his biggest influence. I know that not probably you are his biggest right. influence. And because of that, yeah, you know, and it is your, you know, your husband and his father is an influence as well. And I can imagine a big influence too, but moms, you know, even working moms are are the biggest influence in a child's life. Uh, They're typically there to teach them all of these things. And he's going to remember that. And that's what, what becomes part of what we call the psychological part of finance, their money scripts or their money um, uh, themes in their Mm -hmm. life that actually they'll, when they make decisions like that, when they're like, mm, should I do this? They're actually going to default to some of those themes that they were brought up in. So your theory is correct, Catherine. You're doing a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and look, look where we're at. What are we talking about? We're talking right? about the thing that motivates us the most in life. And that's mm-hmm. our kids. That's exactly. being a parent. And, and when I get on stages and talk about you know, the importance of goals and such, you know, some parents are like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to think about me. You know, I Mm -hmm. I want what's best for my kids though. And they'll actually Mm -hmm. spend more money on their kids, um, entertainment or education or Mm -hmm. uh, sports is a big one. Yet those parents, a lot of times aren't feeling justified in, you know, going to the gym even, or um, taking a break Mm -hmm. or like all these other things, because that is their number one motivator is to be the parent. So it's kind of mm-hmm. funny that here we are, we're, we're right there talking about it. Yep. You're, uh, yeah, exactly right. I just started going to the gym because I need to do something for myself. <laughs> there you go. And so I'm forcing myself to use that as the something because I do have to force myself to do things for myself. Otherwise, I would literally spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just doing things or thinking about things to do for my kids. So, yeah. Yeah. And this is, you know, we can call it nurture or nature. And the debate is always how much of this is going on. And I don't know, but most theorists say it's got to have some of each. So wherever you are in the spectrum, it doesn't really matter other Mm -hmm. than to note that uh, as, as a female and as a mom, um, mm-hmm. That is something that nature nurture has said to you, you know, that's really important more so than even men. We tend to take that, oh, let's go out and slay the beast mentality, um, which that's changing a little bit for society. However, mm-hmm. um, for moms, you're exactly right. Uh, it's, it's all about, you know, our kids. If we don't, you know, find, find a moment. And I'm thinking about a mom. I think she went viral. She was in her closet, you know, eating chocolate or something. And she was videotaping herself. I don't even remember this. I'm, I'm sure there are others like this, but there's a couple years ago. And the fingers ago. under the door. That's it. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and you see these fingers on the door trying to get to mom. <laughs> She's like, yes. the only time I have. <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to get into the mommy words. That's not what I'm doing at all. But what no, I'm saying yeah. is whether you're a working mom, a stay-at-home mom, um, homeschool mom, or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, that innate ability and then that socialized ability um, to to be there for your kids will take over. Um, and if we're not careful, if we don't take care of ourselves, especially women, um, we we won't. We'll take care of you'll take care of your husband. You'll take care of your kids. Mm-hmm. That's just a natural thing. So it's really important to to have that me time. And yeah. for men, and I've this is kind of my focus is right. to help fathers, help men. That's why I'm. I'm really kind of in the solopreneur, entrepreneur space where, you know, still it's a lot of fathers. They get into some of these fields and they like financial advising or, you know, tech industries or whatever. As an attorney, uh, they know it's going to be tough at first and hoping that they'll get, you know, better work-life balance. But a lot of them, you know, are used to 60, 70, 80 hours of work each week and they're doing it in the name of I'm providing for my family. Exactly. I'm doing this for my wife. Mm-hmm. Isn't she glad that I bought her a new Lexus? What about that ring on her finger and the vacations we took last, you know, a couple months ago? Well, that was great, yeah. pal, but you were on your phone the whole time. Yes. And when you're, when you are home, you're not really there. Mm-hmm. And um, when you're gone, like you're, you're, you're working. And in, so it works both ways. So my personal mission, I believe, is to help um, the, the workaholic dad. 
And if I think I can help the workaholic dad, it trickles down to the family. And um, moms are, are really supportive. They're all on board oh, most yeah. of the time when I work with them because they yeah. know they need the help. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think so. So many men, including my husband, were <laughs> raised to just your the provider and that is your role. And, and I don't know if, I mean, I, I can't obviously speak for everybody, but I, I have found that many of the men that I have spoken to were raised that that, that was basically their only role was yeah. to provide. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the blueprint that they've lived their life by. And it's so hard even to get them to completely understand that that's not healthy for everybody involved. That's not healthy for your family, really, to only be their financial provider or, you know, the meat bringer or whatever the case may be. Totally. Yeah. And there's there's so many people who get caught up in doing that and then don't even realize that they're making a mistake until it's like too late. (laughs) You hit the nail on the head. And I think that's the key. What you just said there is that being a provider is the only thing, right? Because then it's, it's totally out of balance. Well, fathers still need to provide nurturing care for their children. And this is where, oh my goodness, I'm not going to get political. Um, That said, there's always a spectrum, right? And so people are coming out saying, well, men, we should totally, you know, demasculate a man and make, you know, women completely unfeminine. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. Right. I think there's there's a place, and you know this because every every professional who's ever achieved anything says, "Thanks, mom, I love you." Like they don't go, "Thanks, dad." Like some of them, maybe, maybe, maybe there's a really strong connection, but most mm-hmm. of them say, "Thanks, mom." <laughs> yeah, because she was there; she's that nurture. But um, on the other end, and women who don't have that naturally, oftentimes, can't, you know, that's that can be developed. But uh, men, on the other hand. And, you know, if they're just this money, you know, paycheck and that's all they are to the family does not typically lead to uh, better marital relationships. Even if finances are a good thing in the family, that doesn't fix, you know, intimacy, uh, whether that's, you know, physical, sexual, emotional, um, spiritual, all the different areas of intimacy. um, it, It doesn't fix that at all. What it simply does is provide one thing that if they just binge provide in that area, they're not really connected with the family. So I think you nailed it. They still need to be, you know, a father, spend time with their children. And that's the number one factor in any relationship. Mm-hmm. It's time, quality time, quantity time. They actually need both. So yeah. some people say, well, um, you know, I spent five minutes, uh, you know, playing balls in the front yard. And I go like, that's quality time. Mm-hmm. No, you actually still need to be there, especially for younger kids more because mm-hmm. they depend on you. They want you to be around. They miss you more. As they get older, it's natural to spend less time with them because they're developing and they would rather hang out with their friends. But right. but they know if they've had a hard day at school or they have a challenge or something, they can come back and talk to dad and they can go cry on mom's shoulder. Mm-hmm. And that's in all of my years of studying the family through sociology, psychology, and family and human development, my PhD, when um, we have family structures that have two-parent households, they just work better. That doesn't mean that a, a child can't be resilient through a divorce or a single mom, and that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that they can't be successful. I'm not saying that at all. Right. But a two-parent household with a father and mother have, by every study I've ever seen, done better period right exactly it's all about the time but anyway right no i love that we're talking about this because this is this so my husband and i've been married for 10 years but i have had to have the conversation with him basically that because you know he's he's said to me but i'm providing for you and i'm providing this wonderful life for you essentially and everything that you could ever desire but you don't seem to be appreciative of it and my thing has always been, I'm like, well, I appreciate what you're doing, but my problem is, is that that's not the only thing that I need from you. And that's the only thing that you're currently providing during that time. Obviously yep. this is different now, but, <laughs> yep. and besides the fact, the other thing for me is, you know, that's honestly, I can go out and provide 
money for myself. Like if you became, you know, ill and had to be in the hospital for months on end and I suddenly had to go get a job and be the provider, I can physically go do that. And I am okay going and doing that. I need things from you that I cannot just provide for myself. Yep. And this is the age of marriage that we're in right now. And I won't bore you with, I probably have already bored you with some stats and stuff. You but are not boring me uh, at all. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I am um, very intrigued. <laughs> I, I guess I've been chasing Maslow's coattails, maybe inadvertently. And maybe because of, of the class, and maybe I'm just discovering this right now on this podcast, Catherine, I'm awesome. having a, a light bulb moment. But uh, I know that there was one other Maslow, a uh, study about Maslow that was instrumental in my dissertation, and it's in there. And I've, I write about it a lot simpler than the author did. Um, and that is, is uh, basically that marriage over time has changed. We know that. Um, Pre-1950s, it was, you know, you married... Um, a lot of times because that was the only way um, that you would have wealth. Um, I mean, look at this, look at the movie story of little women. How many times has that been remade and how many times right. has that story been brought up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the time like you married so that you would have wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, after, you know, early 1900, mid 1900s and fifties and such, then you've got this change in marriage where no, you married not just for material wealth because you could start providing for yourself, you know, as a woman, those glass ceilings were starting, starting to break mm-hmm. and you could get into jobs where men couldn't necessarily put you down and women could vote, right? Like that, that's part of this movement, which mm-hmm. I 100% back. Um, but as, as women began to do this, men started to, to realize, wow, I, I actually have to court them. <laughs> I've got to, you know, I've got to get, get on my game. And yeah. uh, they couldn't and just it, have us handed to them on a silver platter anymore. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. It wasn't, you know, trophy wife life um, that still exists. Of course it does. Right. I'm not saying, but as in general, marriage has changed. But nowadays, marriage has changed even more. And you just mentioned that you, as a woman, um, actually graduate college at a higher percentage than males do now. Mm-hmm. Um, you as a woman have a lot of opportunity. Again, this isn't, I'm not getting to the politics of, is there a gender gap and no, age yeah. gap? Um, right. I'm just saying like, historically speaking, marriage has changed the point where that men have to now realize that marriage might not even happen unless mm-hmm it's both mutually agreed upon and it's just something they both really want to do. Cause actually a lot of people now, and this is, this is the trend are cohabiting. They're not even marrying and, mm-hmm. and we could spend a whole two hour discussion on that. But one of the I big know. reasons, <laughs> yeah. one of the big reasons is that they don't um, feel like they have to be committed. That society doesn't really care if you get married or not anymore. So there's not that push, but right. I think deeper than that, is this idea that it's not even enough to be in love. It's now an option to be married or not. Like love, yeah, that can happen. We can have love or not, but it's more of like this um, connection that is this this Maslow idea of self-actualization. And it supports that earlier revised Maslow's theory of, no, um, we want a mate but to be married is now the self-actualization piece at the very pinnacle, the very top of that revised theory. And I used up my dissertation to say, hey, it's not enough even just to love somebody, but you actually have to have the same goals. Marriage mm-hmm. has to be a goal for both of you. You have to be committed. And a lot of times if you're not in the same religious background or creed or belief, it's, it's detrimental. You have to be going the same direction, having the same goals. And so my unique ability is to help business owners, entrepreneurs, and everybody achieve their goals, but I actually have them do it as a couple. Married couples go through the program together, and I teach them how to essentially coach each other so that they can achieve goals together. And as they do that, not only do they achieve these personal goals, but their marriage improves, their relationships improve, and even if they don't want to acknowledge it, it comes back to, well, gee. Now I'm a better parent and my happy wife's a happy life situation. And they're so much more fulfilled. Does that make sense? 
Oh, totally. I spoke with someone just recently. So she was kind of going through, she'd gone through college and gotten like the job and was in the job. And then they went on this trip and they were traveling around and and just kind of going on holiday basically. And at the end of the trip, she was dreading going home. Mm. And she pretty much in that airport decided that she didn't want to just work a job anymore. Um, And she was going to be an entrepreneur and she didn't really know how to do it um, or what she was going to do. And then she kind of just like started a blog based on things that she was going to try that were new. Well, so she decided this in the airport, (laughs) Oh man! went home and about two weeks later quit her job. Well, within the same week, I think her, and this is another podcast episode that I have. So the the other information will be more accurate than what I'm telling you right now. But (laughs) her husband had said in the airport, you know, well, I've always kind of wanted to be an entrepreneur too. Like I've always wanted to own my own business. So within the same week of her quitting her job, he quit his almost on accident. (laughs) Oh man. And then they got their businesses up and going, but together and at the same time. And I almost found it like the most romantic story I've ever heard of, honestly, (laughs) they were able to go through that together and completely understand, you know, like the struggles that they were both going through and kind of coach each other through it. Like you're saying. That's so cool. I think that if you can find somebody that's going through the things that you have put yourself into, like if they're in a place because they want to be there, chosen to do that and you can go through it together. I think you're right. I think that would be like the epitome of like self-actualization. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And if, if men can realize that they have to change, that marriage isn't the same, that they need to realize it's not just about being a good provider, but it's mm-hmm. uh, about being a good husband and yeah. being a good father. It's a, it's a package deal. And the right. ones that are doing this, they know like life is good when yeah. you're a good husband or excuse me, if you, when you're a good father to your children, your wife loves you. And it, it's not because you have bigger muscles. No. It's because she loves that you love her children, that your children together. And that, that actually, there's lots of studies that show that creates desire, sexual desire, romantic desire, um, even just being close because you're providing that nurturing ability. So if men were smart on Valentine's Day coming up, they would, um, uh, you know, and I know this is going to come out later, but I'm just thinking of this week. Like if they were smart, they would be realizing I need to spend more time with my children. And not just to manipulate, but I'm saying like really change their heart. You know, they would be a good father. They would spend time with their children. They would spend time with their wife and realize that it's not just about the big house and the nice cars. It's about this time. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think that because of my experience losing my father so quickly, it wasn't cancer. It didn't take him years to die. Right. It was overnight heart attack. And there was nothing that anybody could do. He he was Mm -hmm. gone in a second. Mm -hmm. And it was because of that experience, that total loss that we felt as a family that I realized, dude, you've got to, you've got to do better. And every day, you know, you just don't know. You just don't know. So we've changed our life. And I feel like my wife, while I have the PhD, I call her doctor because I'm like, you know what? You've gone through this experience with me. We've done this together. And I don't, this isn't just some kind of on the stage Oscar speech, like, honey, we did this. No, like Mm. she really put hubby through while I was getting my PhD. She pushed me. She Mm. made sure I didn't give up. In the middle of my master's degree, I'm like, I can't do this. I'm done. I'm going to do something else. Like, this is just too hard. And she just was like, no. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You you can't. You can't fail on us. You right. said you were going to do this. You stick it out. Mm-hmm. And um it, a lot of the theories that I've come up with have been because of my experience with her realizing that gee, when we ran a a, a half marathon, we did mm-hmm. it together. Mm-hmm. Gee, when we changed our our food program to completely 100% plant-based, mm-hmm. like it didn't work when she was only doing it. I had to be the guy to say, okay, let's do this as a family all together. Like right. just all of these things that we did together, once we changed as a couple, mm-hmm. and we developed that way, it just worked. So that idea of it being romantic, you're right. It When men realize that this is romantic mm-hmm. and this is amazing for, for women to have this connection, this deep connection of changing together, they will understand 
that while marriage is changing and while people are changing, they can change with it. I was on another podcast. Um, I'm going to throw that out there, the Evolved Caveman podcast. I had a great interview and we just talked about this, that men aren't changing. And because of that, it's like you women have changed and evolved past them. And I never thought of that idea until I was sitting in this chair doing a podcast with them thinking, dude, you're totally right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I've totally thought about that. Um, I, I've actually, my brother and I have conversations all the time because we're both, we both enjoy deeper conversations than just like, hey, how's the weather? But I've told him before even, um, I'm like, I'm, I'm a little bit honestly worried for humanity in this way because <laughs> I'm afraid that eventually, because I mean, so women have, I mean, well, not necessarily women, but humanity has found a way to create other human beings without actually having to procreate. Oh man, we're going here. Yes. <laughs> oh yes. And I'm genuinely a little bit fearful that if men don't take the initiative and start doing more, that women are eventually just going to eliminate the need to have a man in their life. Yeah. Um, I because for that. Like, I don't well, know how to prepare for a future like that, honestly. <laughs> well, and so, and this is, if I was talking to an evolutionary psychologist, mm-hmm. you know, I, w- I would actually bring up this exact point um, that, you know, well, we've evolved. Pat- well, no, here's the thing. Women have that innate desire to give life, to want mm-hmm. to have life. And um, I have a family member who is dealing with, um, you know, not able to have children. So they're doing in vitro and, and they're trying to do as natural as possible, right? But this is a total a natural process outside the body and then they plant the you know the mm-hmm. fertilized egg back into the woman it's it's incredible mm-hmm. so are we evolving to the point in society where you know that's going to be the choice well number one there's a there's a financial barrier still um right. but uh it, let's say that was gone let's say that just that that's gone completely i think you're right that men need to be concerned because if they feel fulfilled through the number one reason to live, that is being a parent, mm-hmm. and they don't see having to have a mate as the way to do that anymore, that they can go in and pre-select, you know, basically, and I, I'm sorry, I know this is a rated PG podcast, but I mean, they can go in and, and, and select, okay, I want this type of DNA from, you know, a male that's been frozen, his semen's frozen over here. You know, I don't know. Like, I can't imagine what our technology is going to be like if we right. can select that, I hope, I hope that our values and our morals in our society don't allow for that, that we can realize that, wait a minute, that's way beyond the scope of what we're doing here. Um, but I, I have that same fear mm-hmm. that it will be a lot of um, single moms. In fact, I was getting to the story, a family member of, I, of ours um, told us when she was in for her last treatment that uh, she met a woman who just wanted a baby and is not yeah. married. And mm-hmm. hey, you know, I'm I'm just this is my second child, and so she's a single mom raising children. Again, I'm not getting political. Can she do that? Can't she? I, I don't I don't really care what the law says, what legal, right? But what are we doing? We're yeah. now saying that men and fathers are optional. Which, again, in my opinion, in the re- and it doesn't even have to be my opinion. The research shows. Um, little boys and little girls need fathers. They need right. them in their life. They need them to teach them how to be, how to take risks. Men mm-hmm. are more naturally risk takers. Women are not. Men, you know, teach a lot of great principles and values that if they're not in their life, teenage girls suffer. And in fact, teenage girls who don't have a father in their life tend to be more promiscuous in their early teen years than not. Why? Because mm-hmm. they're searching for love and affection from a male because that's also innate so it's it's interesting i personally don't think Catherine, that it goes completely down that pendulum but i see the pendulum starting to swing that direction going uh oh (laughs) yeah but i think our society still as messed up as it is i think people are mostly good and i think people will realize okay at least in our society, let's swing that pendulum back. Let's, anytime there's a new technology, anytime there's some new breakthrough, like there's always a little bit of a fear of like, where is this going to go? But right. I think um, at least as Americans, as messed up as we are, if we can stay true to our values and say, yeah, let's ratchet that back. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is probably not going to be the best for our society. 
I'm still crossing my fingers and hoping, but like you, there's, there's worry, there's concerns. Yeah, for sure. Well, and one of the things that I think, so um, I think a lot of it has to do with men kind of being trained or, or raised to basically, I, I feel like men, a lot of men are raised to basically be insecure all the time about everything. And I say that because there, a lot of men are also raised to only show anger or even happiness is constricted, I feel like in some way. And I think it has to do with a lot of the base of the problem. And I just, that's one thing that I personally am still trying to figure out. Like, I don't know how we could possibly even fix that because the problem then therein lies that you have to try to convince someone who doesn't ever want to be seen as weak or incompetent or anything negative that they have been taught is negative to, to seek help for yes. something basically yes. that they don't, that they've been told not to do. You're not allowed to seek help. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. I've got a book on my shelf and I know this is close to home for you and I, but it's mm -hmm. why men die first. And there's all these reasons, a lot of research about it. And it's because mainly men don't control their stress. They let their anger out and they think that it's actually okay to let their anger out. And all research I've ever seen about that shows that the more anger we let out, the more angry we are. And so cathartic things like exercise, uh, doing fun, you know, entertaining things, that's cathartic. You know, meditation, uh, prayer, like all these other things, that's actually good outlets. Yeah, you can let the anger out, but all it does is create a habit of letting anger out. And it's so interesting because that Evolve podcast or Caveman podcast I was on, we had the same exact discussion and he teaches a course on anger management. Yes, yeah, so I'm plugging his course. Mm -hmm. But it's true as a society, we're socialized that it's okay. The emotion that men can express is anger. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, if, if a woman expresses anger, we have names for her that our society has set because that's not okay. Um, mm -hmm. And if men cry, if they show weak emotion, then mm -hmm. they're all of a sudden not a man. And I think here actually lies the problem of this whole demasculating um, concept in the, in the political structure right now. Mm -hmm. If we were to truly understand that a man that a woman wants <laughs> versus a man that society thinks that she wants mm -hmm. that is totally different. That and I'm and I'm not speaking for all females, but uh, you know, Catherine, you're on that. You can. I can concur. Right. <laughs> yes, I can um, agree. <laughs> a woman wants to talk to a man, and she wants to connect with him emotionally. But mm -hmm. if he grew up to never express his emotions, how can she do that? Mm -hmm. How does she actually relate to him on the level that she relates to the most? Women connect with other women emotionally. How do you feel about that? Well, I don't know. It was really tough and I cried. And that it, if a man talked like that, he'd be laughed to scorn. Right. Um, <laughs> when, men, when men are really alone and it's one-on-one, -on -one, and they don't fear power or other things in life, and it's their brother or their friend, they can talk about their emotions, but it's still very difficult. Mm -hmm. And they try to hide if they cry. They try to hide, like my family, it's genetic. Um, men in our family, we cry. Oh, that's so sweet. Well, it's actually kind of embarrassing, right? Because it's not mm -hmm. social, you know, socially approved. But that's the thing is like, we still don't show our emotion, even if we're natural inclined to that. But women report that they love to connect with men who are emotional. I'm not talking manipulation. I'm talking about good, healthy, emotional connection. Yeah. That, that for men, we connect physically. That's how our brains are wired. Mm -hmm. So this is the problem of all time. How do men and women connect um, you know, at deeper levels? Well, it's because they both can realize that well, he connects physically, she connects emotionally. How can this work together? Mm -hmm. And and once once they understand that, um, men can change. And women, I actually believe, women have a little bit of a responsibility here. I don't think that it's all men's fault, right? Because who raises no. the children? Yeah, right. <laughs> so women, even though they know and they, they have a man who doesn't connect with them emotionally, are mm -hmm. still probably creating the problem in the next generation. Why? Don't cry. They mm -hmm. give less hugs to young boys than they do to young girls. Mm -hmm. Less kisses, less interaction. Um, 
physical touch it lessens by the time they reach like first grade they don't get as many hugs as girls so like they're and and who's doing that well it's not the man because typically they're out providing right and typically mm. it's the woman in the home or a caregiver um it was typically a woman why because she's naturally inclined to be that anyway i'm getting really academic here and i hope this isn't no i appreciate it i genuinely women. like that's what i want but, uh, <laughs> i mean you asked a phd to be on the show so exactly. I mean, <laughs> This is just flying out because this is yeah. research out there um, that, that women have a responsibility to then raise this next generation. Hey, express your feelings. It's okay to feel sad. It's mm -hmm. okay to feel insecure. Let's talk mm -hmm. about it. Let me yeah. teach you as a mom who mm -hmm. has the ability to express emotions like a woman can. Let's right. talk about it. Let me teach you how to express that. Mm -hmm. um, and those men who are emotionally secure with themselves they don't they're not susceptible to bullying they're not right. susceptible to when they get into the workplace of being pushed around they know yeah. how to express their emotions they can also be soft and listen and in all actuality um, and we it, we planned it this way Catherine. we have three boys and three girls like it you know we just that's how we wanted it <laughs> that tongue-in-cheek like there is no way but yeah <laughs> but, but uh, the studies show that when girls grow up with brothers and brothers grow up with sisters mm -hmm. they do so much better in life because they learn from each other they right. they have to get along and then they um they actually do better in relationships they're more successful mm -hmm. um you know would that we all could have brothers and sisters in our families um, I grew up with four younger brothers and one sister, um, you know, so we were all beat up each other and that's just what we knew. Yeah. Um, and my wife came from a family of all girls. She had no idea, like what is in the mind of a man? Like it just, mm -hmm. you know, um, so it's, it's, it's really good. It's healthy for us to have that interaction as, as families and, um, acknowledge that, yeah, emotion is good to express and that men should express what they feel and society should give them a place to do that. And that that is actually the definition. That's what I was getting to. The definition of being masculine mm -hmm. doesn't have to be this stoic creature of right. prehistoric dawn, that it can be an understanding, loving, kind man. Now, I come from a position of faith, Catherine. We didn't mm -hmm. even talk about religion before. Mm -hmm. uh, my opinion of what a real man is is more about well what well, i'm a christian you know I, I believe in christ so what are the qualities that christ had and i believe that that those and this is you know this, is, this isn't research this is a personal opinion but i believe that if, if a man is masculine and feminine has the qualities that are natural to both that that is my opinion of a good man yeah I couldn't agree more. My my definition of a masculine man would be someone who is strong enough to be able to push aside societies or what society tells you you should be and just be yourself and have the ability to open up and be emotional and things like that. And that's, I mean, that's the true definition of strength when you can, I mean, to me anyway, it's when you can push aside what someone tells you to be or what someone tells you to do and think for yourself in general um, and realize that, you know, society doesn't have to make the rules <laughs> Yeah, necessarily. And I, and so I, I think we are, I think men, I think there's a movement. Um, I've seen a lot of podcasts, a lot of mm -hmm. coaching, a lot of retreats. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be put on some of my own as well this year. Awesome. Um, so it's, it's going to be fun. But in, you know, in the meantime, I'm, I'm coaching a lot of, of guys and, and their spouses to really help them to manage their time, to improve together as a couple so they can have better health, better relationships, better financial futures. That's fantastic. So because I have you here and you do have a PhD on all these things, can I just ask you one more question? Yeah. yeah. So what is your professional opinion on two people who have the same familial situation who were born close together so they're they're similar in age even and come out on completely different sides of the spectrum oh yeah that's great so psychologists actually love twin studies and even though you know these are two siblings right um mm -hmm. they love twin studies because it's an instant uh group a group b 
and they can mm -hmm. see that, well, the variable they came from was the same family. And they also like twins because they have almost exactly the same genetics, right? Right, exactly. So you wonder like, well, what's different? Mm -hmm. um, I actually follow, uh, and my wife and I have been listening to a, a lady called the Child Whisperer. Now, at first I was like, oh, some hokey. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I'm like, I'm not going to do this, honey. Come yeah. on. What did you get me? Like, you know, I need research. Like, I need to see <laughs> some stuff. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but the more I listened to her um, discussion, she's my my big thing is that research shows us that there's there's really little on personality. Personality develops over time. It's mm -hmm. not preset. They don't come with the personality. They come with um, tendencies. Children come with tendencies. They don't come with personalities. It develops over time. Mm -hmm. That's why I wanted to study human development and families. And so, so this lady was trying to say, you know, personalized development, but each child has a different energy. Some children are kind of forward pushing, meaning like they're the ones like they're just always go do, let's go, 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 go. Right. Mm -hmm. Others are sort of more reserved and kind of pulling back. Um, and, you know, she has these different four types. I can't even think of all the four types, but I've, I've got several who are always go, go, go forward pushing. So I kind of think of their energy in that way. Right. Um, and it's changed how I've parented my children, how my wife and I are parenting our children to understand that it's okay. Let their energy be natural. Mm -hmm. While they come from the same upbringing, so to speak, we tend to parent each child individually because a lot of times parenting isn't just us, us teaching them. It's mm -hmm. them teaching us. Like you've ever heard that saying, like, well, who's parenting who? Or like, mm -hmm. who's walking the dog? Like, is the dog walking the person or are you walking the dog? Right. So without getting into a whole, you know, parenting discussion, essentially you learn as you parent and you parent as you learn. And yeah. the more you're in tune with your child, their energy and their developing personality and their mm -hmm. tendencies as they, as they improve, you can help shape, but they can also help shape you as you parent them individually. Mm -hmm. um, so if it was one-on-one, -on -one, you know, and it was one child through all of their life, and then you had another child come through and it was that child through all of their life, I think that would be an easier comparison, but because that's not how it's done, mm -hmm. <laughs> right. um, we come at different times and parents are in different situations that um, we, we become better parents. Like the, the, I was one of the oldest. And so I think my parents experimented a lot of things on me. Oh, yeah. But by the time they get to my younger kids, either they were too tired or, you know, they, they learned how to be more patient and we just were a lot more lenient. And so yeah. that, that, those personalities developed a little bit different too. Yes. So it's, it's a great question. I hope that answers some of it, man. We could spend a lot more time on that. Oh, we could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally agree. Yeah, one of the examples. So my, I have learned by making mistakes with my oldest, of course, that, yeah, I mean, you basically, each kid that you have, you have to parent them completely differently because they're all different kids. My children happen to be quite opposites of each other. And so like my son is very, he's a, he's a rule follower. Mm -hmm. will follow the rules to a T and I'm just now starting to help him understand that, you know, sometimes there are rules that are in place for a reason and they have their place, but it doesn't have to necessarily apply to not, well, not that they don't necessarily have to apply to everyone, but they have, they, okay. So no, yeah, no, I totally get it. It's exactly yeah. what you're saying. Like <laughs> so, you, you parent a little bit differently to each child, even though yeah. you're the same parent. Correct. Yeah, but the so the example is my my son is a rule follower and doesn't like to break rules. However, I had to take him aside one day because he, I noticed he has a little bit of a touch of anxiety um, that he that I'm trying to help him work through and figure out his way through. And he all of his bathroom passes that he has in the back of his little planner for school are <laughs> empty and they have never been used. And right. so last year, not a single one was used, and this year. Um, he was talking about being in a classroom full of all these really loud kids. And he's a, a fairly quiet reserve type anyway. And he was like, they were like, it's, it's hard to concentrate. I, I get overwhelmed. You know, I, I don't, I don't like it. And it makes me have like worse anxiety than I already mm -hmm. when I'm going to school anyway. And I was like, all right, so here, 
I'm going to tell you this, but I will never tell your sister this because I know your sister and she will take advantage of this, but I know you won't because you follow rules and don't like to break them anyway. So here's what you do is you ask to go to the bathroom <laughs> and I don't care if you have to go in the bathroom or sit out in the hallway for five seconds and, and center yourself, but you it's not good for you to stay in that situation where you're overwhelmed. So please feel free to take a bathroom pass and take a minute outside in the quiet hallway to recenter yourself so that you're not overwhelmed all day. Cause that's just going to wind up making you angry and, and anxious for the whole rest of the day. Like that's not a good, good thing. So, <laughs> but yeah, like I would never tell his sister to do that because she already at the age of six is a wild child a little bit and will 100% <laughs> take advantage of any loophole that she can figure out. <laughs> well, and I, I think you're right on the money. I mean, any parent that has had more than one child know mm-hmm. that they just, they come with different energies um, yeah. or they come sure. with different, and we tend to call this personalities. That's just, that's the pop psychology of, well, they have different personality. No, they don't. Personality develops over time. And mm-hmm. research shows that that is the case. So yeah. I actually steered away from personal, pop personality psychology, even though I got a lot of that in high school. Mm-hmm. I thought that's all psychology was. And I didn't really want anything to do with it when I did my master's. But if I, I was able to uncover some of that and realize it's more than just that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the, the, the research is actually, on, at least on parenting, has gone to there's several types of children. And they can kind of grow through, develop through, and based on how they're parented, based on their genetics, based on also their school, their mm-hmm. media influence, the politics, mm-hmm. the nation they grow up in, their religious values, their goals, right? And yeah. for me, I'm always bringing it back to goals because regardless of all the other influences that they're part of, and if they have really good, solid, founded goals, they can be resilient. They can mm-hmm. make it through. And, you know, even myself, I mean, yeah, I, I was resilient. I didn't want to do all these, but I realized I needed to do this to get to the point where now I can help people. I can specialize and, and really get past my own fears, get mm-hmm. past all of the circumstances of not having anybody provide a dime for my education. Um, I had to figure this out with loans and scholarship and grants and work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, you can be resilient. You can do this. Yeah. Um, and even as a parent, I hope that helps. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Do you have um, a website and if, if anybody wants to get a hold of you for coaching or anything? Yeah, for sure. I'm online at travisperry.com and that's with an A. So as the Welsh say, it's potty, not Perry. Perry ever compares <laughs> it with P-E. I made it to Wales last year. So I got to hear it from a Welshman. It's potty. I'm like, okay, I'll say it like that when I come back. Not, um, but it's Travis Perry, P-A-R-R-Y.com. And on there, if people are on the home you know, website, they'll actually, um, if they want to, they can sign up for what I call the ideal calendar um, exercise and it's an article to help people with work-life balance so you men out there that want to do better at work spend less time there and more time at home for all of our conversation that's available to you you know i speak i've got a podcast they can follow and they can learn more about my coaching there on the website fantastic thank you so much hey it was a pleasure to be here thanks Catherine. absolutely